Well, has anyone noticed um, over recent months that when I've gone to put my guitar on, I've kind of done it a little bit gingerly, just threading the old right arm through. Yes, a few people have spotted that. Um, I've had a, um, a really bad shoulder for the last uh, four or five months. Um, and I went to the doctor, had the scans done, got a cortisone injection, been having physio, um, been doing the exercises, all that sort of jam. And instead of getting better, it's actually getting worse. Um, which is not great news, so the next uh, thing I've got to do is go see an orthopaedic surgeon. So, so the old um, right shoulder is not going that well, and it's because um, kids are awesome and, and they take good care of their parents at all times. And so, so when the kids will just flick a tennis ball at me, of course, by instinct, since I'm right handed, I'll go flip, but you know, think of it in high speed, and try to catch the thing. And it's like, and it's just, it, there's been a lot of those kind of wince moments. Um, even simple things like just going to flick on a light switch, um, forgetting that I'm supposed to be looking after this. Um, but the funniest is where um, I've had to, um, like, size um, window needed to be replaced. And so putting it back in, I had to do some screws up. And I needed two hands to hold the screw and then to get it in. So I'm kind of angling the body, kind of trying to get this arm to lift high enough to be able to do what I need it to do. And it's not been much fun. Um, probably the funniest of all, though, is when um, there's been something on a shelf and I've kind of done that whole, you know, how am I going to angle my body to get this thing? And then realised, oh, yeah, I can just use the left hand and then just do it like that. <laughs> Um, and and kind of that's um, a bit of what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about a healthy body. Uh, not a body in terms of just a physical body like mine, but what does it mean to be a body of people? Um, where each part is able to do what it's supposed to do. Unlike me, which thinks that the right hand's got to do everything, why don't you let the left hand have a go sometimes as well? Um, and that's actually a really smart thing to do so that this side doesn't get overworked and get injured, um, but your body can actually work in better harmony. And I wish I could rewind over my life. I'm sure we all have those moments. I don't know if you're like me and lay on bed and think, if only I could do that bit again and that bit and that bit, oh, but maybe that bit would affect that bit and oh, that might not work. But anyway, um, you tend to have those moments where you wish you could have a do-over and uh, certainly I think of some of the things that I've done uh, over a long period of time with my um, right arm um, and I thought, you know, I wish I'd taken more care of it. Just because I could carry the weight doesn't mean I probably should have. Um, we're going to do a similar thing, but we're going to rewind Romans and not because... Uh, Romans needs a do-over because it got messed up like my shoulder. But actually, when you read the end of Romans, you see a really healthy body. Um, and so where I'd like to rewind to figure out what I could do better so my body didn't get unhealthy, in Romans, we're going to rewind so that we can figure out how is it that there's such health and life and vitality and great body work going on in the end of the chapter. So that's what we're going to spend uh, the next several weeks looking at together. So we're going to dive in together uh, to the word that was inspired by God's Holy Spirit, trusting that that same Spirit is at work in you and in me to help us to understand it and do something about it. Um, but before we dive into that, how about we pray? God, thank you that we can come together as a body, um, as your word describes us, uh, and that we can um, each uh, play different roles in serving you and being served by you. As we've just uh, had communion together, we remember that we love because we have first been loved, and we serve because we have first been served. So we put our attention on you who has done so much for us, including giving us this holy word. Uh, we pray that just as you breathed it out through uh, the Apostle Paul and it was written down by one of his co-workers, so you will uh, help us to uh, take it in and cause it to become part of who we are. And so we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I want to um, read to you from Romans chapter 16, and we're going to read the first 16 verses together. And as I always say, um, it's always excellent to have it in your own lap so that you can write notes, highlight and be familiar with it, but we'll have it up on the screen here as well. Here we go. Paul dictates this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a servant of the church in Centuria. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. I don't know if you realize this, but the whole um, reason we have this amazing letter, the letter to the Romans, is because this lady, Phoebe, was traveling from where Paul was in Corinth um, and the nearby city of Centuria, um, and she was going to Rome. So he's written a letter for her to take with her. Um, that's a really important part of the backstory. From verse 3, give my greetings to Prissa and Aquila. You might know Prissa by her longer name, uh, Priscilla. My co-workers in Christ Jesus who risk their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first to convert uh, to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. Now, there is going to be an exam, so I hope you really paid attention to all those names as uh, we went through there. Um, as we read that, um, just that series of greetings, I hope you got the sense that Paul is part of a really great team. Did you hear how many times he said of people that they work hard in the Lord? Did you pick up on that time? We've been talking about um, spiritual mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters over recent weeks. Did you pick up that one of the people mentioned was like a mum to him? Uh, that was the relationship that he had uh, with that lady. Did you see how there were some folks there who risked their own lives? Quite literally, um, he, he wrote there, they risked their necks. In other words, they could have been beheaded because of what they did for the sake of the Apostle Paul. They put their lives on the line to help him in his ministry. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to these Christians in Rome and sending greetings with Phoebe as she carries this letter, he's writing to some fantastic teammates who he loves very much. And a whole bunch of them he describes as dear friends. I just reckon that's an awesome picture of church, don't you? An awesome picture of a community of people who are working together for the sake of Christ. So let me just give you a little bit of the backstory of um, how that came about. Um, here's a map of kind of the Roman world at that time in history. And the church here over here in Jerusalem, there we go, 
um, was founded there on uh, the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon those first followers of Jesus and empowered them to testify to the truth of Jesus as we were hearing about earlier in communion, why he died, why that gives us new life, how we can be filled with the Spirit in order to live for God now and with God for all eternity. Um, and so this message got preached uh, by Peter and all of the others who were in Jerusalem and then it went out from Jerusalem all over the place. Because a whole bunch of people had come from a whole bunch of places around the Roman world and other places besides in order to go to this feast in Jerusalem. And when they went home, they carried the message with them. And some of them carried it as far as Rome. Uh, one of the people who eventually uh, heard the message of Jesus was, of course, the person who's now writing to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul. But you might remember that when he first heard the message, he was not a fan. When he saw people converting to this new faith, he was very, very agitated. As a proud Jewish person, he was determined to squash this because he saw it as a threat to the one true religion. But of course, God dealt with Paul and um, a commissioned Paul, rather than being the person who would stamp out this new religion, he said, well, no, actually, you're going to be my ambassador, not even to your own people, the Jews, who you are so zealous for. You are going to be a Jewish ambassador to the Gentiles. You're going to be somebody who bridges the cultural divide and helps people understand that to follow Jesus does not mean becoming a Jew. It means becoming one with Jews and with Gentiles from all around the world as followers of the one true God. And so Paul begins this ministry of travelling around, uh, particularly focusing on how Gentiles can come to know Jesus and also focusing on helping Jews and Gentiles now live together as one family. Uh, and if I can bring up my next chart, oh, I've gone off. Jord, mm -hmm. my clicker's stopped working. Do you reckon you can do me a huge favour? You've already done me a big favour today. Thanks for that. As uh, Paul uh, travels around, he goes through this region up here where you can see, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia Minor. He goes into what is now Greece, Macedonia and Achaia and so on. And he's telling the good news of Jesus. He's establishing churches, but he's not alone. Um, there's a whole lot of people who are participating with him in that work. Um, and he writes about that when he writes to the church in Corinth and he talks about his teammates. And so we know that Paul has always been very aware. Hey, he's not a, a solo worker here. And the cool thing about that is as he's been working in that region, he's gotten to know a whole bunch of other people who are similarly spreading the gospel of Jesus. And some of those folks have now left that area and travelled to Rome and are working there. People like um, Priscilla and Aquila, for example. And because Paul knows that they're in Rome and he knows how much they've meant to him in the ministries that they've been conducting in the areas that he's been working, he sends them those special greetings. But here's a question I have. As we read through both the beginning and the end of Romans, we discover that Paul's purpose in writing to the church here at Rome is that he's planning to visit them. I wonder why that is. Why would Paul, and if I could have the next one, thanks, George, this has completely died. Why is Paul, and leaving the region where he's established, growing churches and going to Rome, but he's only planning to stay there for a short time? So that's what we're, we find out about in Romans chapter 15. 
And uh, George, you're going to be a very busy young man today because we're going to now read through the verses that answer these two questions. Why do we find Paul writing this letter? Because he's planning to come and visit in person and planning only to stay for a short time. So let's read from Romans 15 and we're going to pick up the story from verse 14. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed, for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. And I've strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I've first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I'm travelling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they're obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I finish this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. So there was a lot in those verses, but what do we understand from those verses about why Paul was leaving an area where he had had fruitful ministry and going to a different region? Well, Next one, thanks. Brilliant. It's all about Spain. It's all about where he wants to go next. And as he described in uh, those verses, uh, he had been ministering in a really fruitful way over in that part of the world, and he felt like there was no further work to be done. Why? Well, not only had he travelled to a whole bunch of different places, establishing churches and getting them um, uh, established with leaders and so on, um, but also a whole bunch of other people who he'd gotten to know very well, who he trusted implicitly, were also working in those regions. And Paul realised that if he was going to keep travelling in the part of the world that he had been working in, he would be coming across areas where other uh, workers of the gospel had already been, where churches had already been established. And that's not a bad thing. But Paul was clear that that wasn't what he was called to do. God had called him to be a pioneer, to go out to places where the message had not yet reached. And as he um, considered that, he realised that the area that he could go to where no one else, to his knowledge, had yet been with the gospel 
was right across to Spain. And so on hearing that uh, Phoebe was travelling to Rome, he thinks, oh, this is perfect. Uh, because Rome is the centre of the empire. Um, not only has there been a flood of people, and he's listed off a whole bunch of names who have gone from east to Rome, but of course there'll be a whole bunch of people who have come from the west to Rome as well. And if he can get to Rome, he can meet some people. It can open some doors. He can uh, be introduced by the Christians in Rome, maybe to some folks who have travelled from Spain. Or maybe it's that they'll be able to provide him with some financial resources or transport or whatever it might be, but they'll be able to, as partners in Christ, send him further afield to keep spreading the news of Jesus. If I could have that next slide up uh, as well, thanks, George. And I'll keep pressing this just in case I get lucky. There we go. Thanks, mate. So here's some inspiration that I take um, from those verses that we've just read through in Romans 15. Uh, I'm inspired by Paul's clarity and his commitment to his own calling. Um, Paul was really clear, hey, I'm not going to come to Rome yet, even though I want to, because I've got to establish churches in the area that God called me to first, those areas east of Rome. And when he got the sense of, you know what, I think that work is done, there's people here I can trust to continue the work, he knew that it was time to go, and so he started to make preparations. But he knew that it wasn't about staying in Rome, it was about reaching areas that hadn't yet been reached. He, he had a sense of clarity about what God had called him to do. But you remember what he needed to do before he went to Rome? He was in Corinth and he was about to take a trip back through Macedonia and then down through Asia Minor back to Jerusalem because he was carrying money from the Gentile Christians for the impoverished Christians in Judea, the Jewish Christians. And he was the right guy to do that because he was Paul, the Jew, who was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so it was fitting that he carry a gift from the Gentiles back to his own people, the Jews, as an expression of that two-way blessing that he talked about. Hey, God's used the Jewish people to bless the Gentiles with a message about Jesus and the opportunity for eternal life. And the Gentiles in return are choosing to bless the Jews by supporting them as brothers and sisters and helping them with their material needs. Paul was a great link person to do that. Um, so it was a really um, special privilege that he uh, had uh, and, and a responsibility that he was discharging as somebody who was entrusted by both groups of people. So he goes back to Jerusalem and he um, delivers that aid. And remember what he asked the Romans and others to pray for? Pray that the gift will be acceptable, which it was. It was gratefully received. But pray also that God would keep him safe from the Jewish unbelievers who, like him before he was a believer in Jesus, were trying to stamp out this religion, who were trying to imprison and, and kill off those who were following Jesus. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, and you can read all about it in the book of Acts, there was a group who sought to assassinate him. And do you know how God made sure that Paul made it safely to Rome? He had him arrested and held under Roman guard and transported as a prisoner. And there were shipwrecks and all kinds of things along the way. But God got him to Rome. So the very last point there um, that Paul um, emphasises in Romans 15, like everywhere else, is God was sovereign in the way that he worked. God, uh, in Paul's mind, uh, needed to protect him from his enemies and get him to Rome. Paul probably thought that the way that that would look is that whatever plots were against him would fail and he'd be able to board the ship and put in his ticket and go off to Rome and be a free person. That would have been ideal. Um, God knew that it was going to require a different strategy. But God was in charge and God did exactly what God wanted to do. Paul was thinking, you know, I'm just going to call in at Rome, maybe bless those guys for a bit. Um, I know that they're com competent to instruct one another. I know they've got amazing people there who know the gospel and know the Christian life and can build churches. They don't need me. Um, I'll bless them a bit because, hey, relationships between Jews and Gentiles are my specialty, so I'm going to speak into that while I'm there. But then I'm off. 
and he stays in Rome under house arrest for two years. That wasn't his plan, but God was sovereign. And uh, the book of Acts in chapter 28 tells us that that was a really fruitful time of ministry where anyone who wanted to find the Apostle Paul and to hear teaching, they knew where to find him. He was stuck. He was under house arrest. Um, Now, did he eventually make it to Spain? We believe so. Um, His uh, co-worker Clement, who is uh, listed in Philippians 4, uh, a guy who probably was trained by Paul, um, eventually became a bishop in Rome. And decades later, he wrote uh, that Paul made it to the furthest Uh, western limits of um, the world as they considered at that point Uh, and if you look at the continent well that's as far west as you can go is to follow follow the route through Spain. So we think that Paul did make it eventually uh, before coming back to Rome where he was eventually martyred. But those are three things that we see um, emphasised in Romans 15. Uh, Romans 16 celebrates this great team of people. And if those are the people that Paul could list who had left the area that he was working and had travelled to Rome, how many more of them were still working in those regions? Paul was part of a massive community of people all serving God, people who he had confidence in, people who he was happy to celebrate. He, He didn't need to kind of hog the glory. He was happy to say, hey, listen to Apollos, listen to Peter, listen to Priscilla and Aquila, allow these people to teach you the truth about Jesus. And he was very upfront in saying, hey, make sure everything lines up with the gospel as you heard it from me. Make sure it lines up with what Peter's been teaching and the other apostles. So he wasn't just saying, well, anyone can do this, it's fine. No, it was the truth about Jesus that he cared about. But he knew that that was much bigger than him. And he knew that God worked through many more people than him. He had clarity about and commitment to his own calling. He had confidence in and celebration of the callings of others. And he knew that God was sovereign through all of it. So the question for us is, how are we doing with that? Are we in a similar state? Who are your co-workers in the life and ministry that God has called you to? Who would you consider to be teammates? It's an interesting question. Could you rattle off a list like Paul? Bang, 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 bang. Look at all these people. I'm so confident in their ministry. I know they work so hard for Jesus. They're dear friends, family members. How are we acting like the team that we see in Romans 16? And that kind of leads us to that last one. What is God asking us to do about that? How can you be clearer and more committed to your own calling? I love that Paul had that clear sense of purpose. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And then God changes his plans and pushes him one way or the other. But Paul had this sense of, you know what, I know what I'm supposed to be about. Do you have that same sense of clarity? Do you have that same sense of commitment? You know, one of the ways that God produces that in us is because in a community of people, there are people affirming that for us. And that's where that second point is important. Are you one of those people who is confident and thankful for the callings of others and is able to express that to them so that others grow in their own sense of clarity and commitment to their calling? Do you see how people serve and say, hey, I noticed that. That was awesome. Thank you. And people get the sense of, ah, okay, so God worked through me there. And we're getting that sense of clarity for ourselves. You know, it's easy to be a community of critique. Have you ever noticed that? And often it starts by critiquing those people out there and then it flows over into critiquing one another when we're not around and all that kind of stuff. It's human nature to tear down. Um, it's sinful nature. It's of the, the, the enemy, the devil. Jesus said, I've come that people may have life and life abundant. The devil's one who steals, kills and destroys. So what kind of people are we going to be? 
That we're going to be building each other up, confident in each other, thankful for each other. And we're going to trust that God's working in and through all this for his people. We don't want to be a church like my body. Where you've got this one arm and this one arm is cactus and overworked and horrible and useless. And it's still trying to reach the light switch and still trying to get that heavy thing off the shelf. And I'm grimacing and maybe even cursing under my breath and and that sort of thing. And then you realize, oh, but there's this other arm. (laughs) Finally. But we can be a body where we're doing this, where every part is doing its thing. And as we rewind through, uh, we're actually going to see some more principles uh, that are discussed in the last half of Romans that will help us to be that kind of body. But let's decide today that's what we want to be. We want to get to the same ending that this letter to the Romans got to. A whole team of people, confident in each other, thankful for each other because they have clarity and commitment to their own calling. Let's pray. God, thank you that we um, have this wonderful letter to the Romans and uh, Paul, when he dictated it to the the person who wrote it down for him, um, probably just saw it as a way to open the door to a relationship with the Romans that would help him in his ministry to Spain. I suspect he had no idea that this letter was actually going to be far more important than his trip to Spain was. It was going to lead to the salvation of millions of people who have read it. Uh, It's going to lead to the blessing to billions of people whose lives have been impacted by it. And as we get to read it together, I pray that it would similarly impact our lives. And God, as we look at the end of that letter, we see this beautiful teamwork that Paul describes, this close relationship with people he considers to be dear friends, even closer than friends. Some he even talks about as being family. And he acknowledges their hard work in the Lord. And, and he also speaks at the end of the letter about how the Romans themselves had become famous for their obedience to the gospel. We are part of an amazing body. God, would you help us to be a healthy body? Help us to be healthy by being clear and committed to our own calling as followers of Jesus and not being distracted from it, not being discouraged, not turning away from who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. May we help one another by being thankful for each other and being confident in each other and what you can do through us. Help us to never expect that others ought to uh, look, think, sound and uh, do things like we do. May we actually appreciate one another for who you've made us to be and learn to rely on each other as teammates. And may we do all this being confident in the sovereignty of our God that he's the one who's shaped us. He's the one who's made us new creations. He's the one who's prepared good works in advance for us to do. God, you've done all of that. And so all of what we've been talking today uh, rests in your sovereignty and in your goodness. And that's a good place to rest. And we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.